Welcome to AWS She Builds Tech Skills with your hosts, Maya and May. Hello, tech community. Welcome to AWS She Builds Tech Skills episode number 21 already. Uh, it's that time of the year, isn't it? Um, and I hope you're having fun wherever you are in the world, whether it's Thursday evening, Thursday sometime or Friday. Uh, and uh, it is winter time here in Australia. May, what you been yes. doing? Any winter activities? Well, um, welcome everyone. Um, yes, so I, I base out of Sydney, Australia. It is 10 a.m. A sunny, cold winter. Uh, we'll love to hear where everyone is joining from. And my, where where are you joining from today? Because you you've been traveling a lot. <laughs> Yeah, well, I haven't been travelling of late, so uh, I'm based in sunny Queensland. Um, so it is. You can it, tell us by that. our clothes. I'm in my jumper. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my um, hot water because it's uh, it's freezing cold this morning. But Mal, you're still in your t-shirt and enjoying the sunshine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I would say it is the Queensland is the Florida of the US. <laughs> We do have sister cities in Florida, so i um, love to oh, go there one day. I've never been there. Um, I'd love is, to check it out. That is amazing. Um, welcome to Peg from Dallas. Thanks for joining from all the way from Dallas. Um, yes, welcome everyone to the show. If you haven't seen our She Builds Tech Skills show, uh, we stream live every month uh, on a uh, YouTube channel, Twitch channels. And um, and we've been doing it for, well, 21 episodes now. So really excited. We have different technical topics. We bring in guest speakers um, who are specialized in a particular area, specialization. Today we have several around the batch jobs. So a lot of the technical tips and tricks um, and also live demo or recording demo. Who doesn't love a demo to actually see what's going on? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's all about uh, live demos and um, Tokyo. I've been to Tokyo before. Uh, Tokyo is hot today. I wish I was in Tokyo. I, I don't mind the summers there. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yeah, the festivals it's, over there are crazy. <laughs> it's a beautiful country and Tokyo is a beautiful city. I saw a, actually an Instagram post from my friend. Um, she is based in Shibuya and she was like, it is hot today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shibuya is where I used to hang out quite a lot, uh, especially oh, the, really? the nightlife. Is, yeah, the nightlife is amazing. You cannot compare that to anywhere in Australia. Wow. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. People are friendly. Um, people are kind of talk to you. Did you grow you. up yeah. there or did you just No, not at all. Uh, I, I grew up, I guess, grew up. I can't remember much of it. Um, closer to Osaka. Um, and that's where all the wow. cool street food is, right? Uh, but um, yeah, I do go back uh, every now and then. And Tokyo is definitely the spot uh, for. Well, I see it as a party town. <laughs> There's more to I it love than it. party. But... <laughs> yeah, I love it. I've never experienced a, a nightlife in Tokyo. To be honest, we I only went there for holiday, and it's mostly like you know you go sightseeing, ski, and. Um, yeah, the nightlife. Maybe I should have tried it. <laughs> Never too late to try. There's heaps of cool bars, yeah, and I'm sure that's the case in Montreal as well. So Emmanuel, uh, 
I can't pronounce the last but uh, Bochi can't. Uh, <laughs> hello from Montreal. I've never been to Montreal. I've been to Vancouver and uh, Toronto. I'm probably not pronouncing it right either. Uh, people over there like to say Toronto. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Don't you love it? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I uh, would love to go there. I've seen um, one of my favorite DJs. Call it DJs. Artists from uh, from Canada is Kaytranada. He's hot. I love his music. Oh, wow. Anyway, I'm sort of put it out there. Nothing to do with AWS. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's so cool. Um, and my, I know you you had a really busy month, and uh, I saw you did the certification. Tell us a little bit about what certification you did, and I really want to know how you find time to do a certification out of it. <laughs> after after work and also the motivation i would say yeah it's really difficult to find time but you just got to find time uh after hours and I, over the weekends i don't recommend it to uh you know for everyone especially if you're looking for work-life balance but um yeah the security aws security specialty certification uh it was quite difficult um even in terms of the specialty certifications i've done yeah. the data analytics one and Somehow I found the data analytics special, specialty a little bit more easier than security. I thought it would be the opposite because I've been dealing with like security. Security and... is, yeah, everyday conversation, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so May, oh, I'm that's cool. you've been doing some security on-ramp workshops with customers. Tell, tell us what that's all about. Yes, that's right. So, um I I was in the when I was like two years ago in the different team we deal with a lot of or a large number of customers and um, we set up this program really to help the customer to get to understand this cloud security it doesn't have to be AWS but just in general cloud security and it just you know um, have that the barrier to get into security much easier and understand what is the really uh, foundation of a good security looks like, like what, what's good looks like for a customer and what are the things that they should really uh, focus on before they jump into, you know, setting up, you know, incident response and automations and stuff that that will come, but what is the good foundation looks like for them? So that is all about the, the workshop that um, I did with my security folks and um, and we run across five uh, ANZ uh, cities in person and uh, that was that was really good experience we get to do whiteboarding session with a customer customer ask question around like hey how I have access key in the you know in the application what is the best way uh, to communicate with AWS without actually using the access key and like this kind of conversations like I, I really love it it's just open up a lot of doors for the customer to build in the cloud in a more secure way and more importantly, we are educating the customer on the spot and like sharing that knowledge. Like it's a it's a safe space. We talk about you know what 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 is good what goods looks like and what other thing that they should look out for. And um, and we we also go through what's the remediation looks like for them. So we do the assessment uh, in the workshop. And then at the end, they get the remediations of like, hey, these EC2 instance, you need to go and fix it because there is a security loophole in there. So that kind of conversation really helped the customer to take it to the to the next step. So yeah, so that was, that was my uh, last month. And uh, yeah, that was pretty good. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Whiteboarding sessions are always useful, isn't it? And uh, I want to ask the audience, do you deal with any security issues? Even if you're not in cybersecurity, perhaps, maybe mm. you, you need to look at some of the uh, security vulnerabilities even within your code, even if you're a developer, right? Do you deal with security stuff on a day-to-day basis? Maybe on a de- not, not on a day-to-day, but maybe every week or every month. Yeah, I I would love to hear from the audience because this is conversation that we have like every day. And even if you're not doing much and you're trying to access the AWS from the, you know, from the command line or from your laptop and you still have to deal with like, okay, how do I get the access into into the AWS account and how do I have the, the right permission to access to the right service? So, yeah, would love to hear. Um Anything that you're dealing around security, pop it in the chat. So YPK0077. Yeah, we do with security issues. So I think it's a common theme. Um, Mm. Security should be everybody's business, not just one person or just the cybersecurity team. So For sure. And it's really important to highlight one things goes wrong what is the steps like what what do they have to do in their in the team so it's about having a a run book or like with the team to practice something goes wrong these are the steps that they should do so just going through with the customers just really um you know get that experience and advise them what what they should do in terms of if something goes wrong in the aws account yeah we use aws inspector awesome yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you recommend that to you, your customers, May? I do. So when my customers starting out, we kind of, you know, um, go through the foundation of stuff. So inspector might not be in there, but security hub, AWS security hub is there just to get the visibility of the overall security posture. And security helps is really handy and um, it, it's not that expensive um, to actually do that. And as they get through the to the status, like, okay, I understand what is the foundation looks like. And then we take it to like, okay, what does patching looks like and inspectors and, you know, the vulnerability management, that sort of conversation lead into a more mature uh, security posture and having a strong posture in their environment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, on today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, batch uh, use cases and how do we do that serverlessly? Now, uh, May, uh, you've experienced that with your customers, is that right? That's right. So I guess like when we talk to a customer, we don't really say, oh, it's a batch job. It is like you're doing the batch processing, right? It just come into play where one of my customers who was doing the the batch um processing job with their uh, the log analytics so they have like uh, when they have a you know large events running and they want to analyze how the event was performing running on aws and how is the user experience like all these data sit in the aws is sitting also like third-party systems so they gather all the logs file uh, they gather all the information 
um, and then transform using the batch um, processing to, to transform using Lambda function, which is a serverless function, and then step functions to actually, you know, um, to enrich the data to also transform it into more uh, usable, consumable data. And then, uh, and then they have a downstream service to analyze that. So how well the event perform, how, how is the user experience like? So that sort of things that I have seen in the batch jobs, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty common use case in uh, media mm. and entertainment and financial services as well, um, as well as other. Yeah. I think there was another use case around life sciences and, yeah, and a lot of different use cases there, which is pretty cool. Um, one more comment from YPK0077, AWS-owned document SSM to deal with vulnerabilities in Unix environments. Do you reckon you can answer that one, May, or is there, let's get back to There might be a documentations, and I will have a time now to go and look at it. So there might be some documentations around that. All right. All right. With that, uh, let's introduce our guest. So our guest today is Kinera Vajala, uh, who is a cloud architect at AWS Professional Services. Uh, she's based out of Melbourne, Australia. And uh, let us introduce her. So, Kinara, welcome. Hey, how are you all? Good. Yeah. Are so you excited you to... to be on the show? Yeah. 100%, 100% way. And yeah, looking forward to chatting with all of you and teach a bit of serverless and learn a lot from all of you as well. All right. So did you want to talk a little bit about this solution and uh, why you decided to showcase this solution before we get into the demo? Sure. Man. So to introduce myself, I'm a cloud application architect based out of uh, Melbourne. Mm -hmm. I've been with Proso for more than three years and I come from development background. So I've been doing a lot of migration and modernization projects here at Proso. And today I want to discuss about one of the modernization projects that I worked for a customer based in airlines industry. So we had this use case where we had to rewrite the mainframe applications to serverless using technologies like Lambda, step functions. And that we created a blueprint and we used it for various jobs. And I'll be going through that demo, wherein we'll, I'll explain you how does it look like for a long running job, for a short running job, and what does it work with step functions versus AWS batch. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's, uh, let's go to the demo. Uh, let's... Whoops. Yeah. Uh, uh, can you start over, please? Yeah, let's yeah, start. Yeah, okay, start, start from the beginning, sorry. Yes. So what are we What are we looking at, Canera? Uh, let's start with uh, the design page. Yep, yep, if you can start over, yeah. So uh, this, is, this is what I was just explaining, the long running jobs and the short running jobs. So we had this use case where, you know, uh, the airlines customer receives a file from a third party and that gets uploaded to S3 bucket. And once it gets uploaded to S3 bucket, it needs to trigger a step function and it needs to go and save it into the database. And there were scenarios where the file size was too much and then we had to use Elastic Container Service, which is a container. And then there were use cases where the files were very short and it could be like the batch job takes only one to two minutes. In that case, we went with Lambda. So the way it works is when a file gets uploaded to S3 bucket, it uses the event reach 
and pushes the file input to step functions. Step functions is a, a AWS service that orchestrates various serverless services like Lambda, ECS, or DynamoDB, API Gateway, CodeBuild. A step function does natively integrate with various services. And in this use case, we have been using only Elastic Container Service and Lambda. So first case where we create a Elastic uh, ECS cluster, and then we have a task definition. And the second case, we have a simple uh, orchestration of Lambdas. So that's about the design on a high level. Can you continue the video, please, May? Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically what I just explained to you. When a file gets uh, when a file gets uh, uploaded to S3 bucket, it goes to step functions and it triggers the Elastic Container Service. And for short running jobs, it triggers the Lambda. So here you split it into long running to be ECS and then short yes. running to be Lambda. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've used SAM template for uh, this uh, short and sweet demo. So SAM template is a wrapper on CloudFormation. If you have used CloudFormation, we use it for any services. And SAM, the serverless templates, is used specifically for serverless services. It's just a wrapper, and it sort of consolidates the prototype code. You don't need to mention all the required things. So if you have a look at this place where I have mentioned test state machine, so instead of type, you know, instead of writing all the extra code, state machine will make sure that it creates a step function or lambda, and it. The same is applicable for you know all the other serverless sub services as well. Now, I, I'm just going to explain you how that step function definition looks like. So for the first long running jobs, you see that the first step is to invoke the ECS task. This invoke ECS task, you know, where you pass the cluster ID and the task definition, and then depending on if the task gets successfully completed, it triggers the review results or you do see a, a results path there. So, you know, we could play with the results path and see what's the status of the job and what is the output as well. That's about a simple use case. Imagine you wanted to run multiple tasks in parallel. Say you have a series of items and you want to spin up multiple ECS tasks in parallel. That's when it goes to the next step. So if you see this definition here, so you see this uh, task is of type map, and we do have iterator. So this map will have the list of items, and for each and every item, it will start creating a task for itself, and we can do multiple things in parallel. Step function does a lot of other magics as well. Questions of time, I don't want to go into details, but I just wanted to explain this use case where it's single task versus multiple tasks in parallel. Let us know if you have any questions. Happy to pause the demo and answer the questions as well. So you mentioned um, uh, CloudFormation. Um, so when should you use CloudFormation versus a SAM template? And what is CloudFormation in layman's terms for those that aren't familiar? Sure. So CloudFormation, CloudFormation is an AWS service that's, that's used to create templates and deploy the infrastructure to AWS services. And this is used for automation. You can actually go to AWS console and create an EC2 instance manually. But how do you track it? Who is doing what? What is the security? And how do you want to make it configurable across multiple environments? 
That's when CloudFormation comes into picture. You can create one CloudFormation template and parameterize all the values. And you could use the same template for multiple environments. So scalability, configuration, automation, everything is achieved using CloudFormation. Oh, I see. And what about Sam? And uh, this is a question out to the audience as well. Have Have you used CloudFormation or Sam, or are you using other third party providers like uh, HashCorp, Terraform, or you know other other infrastructures, code tools? And I guess this is also a question to Canera. Have you seen customers use um, CloudFormation uh, and uh, Terraform, or a mixture of all all of the above? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Combination of CloudFormation and SAM templates, yes. You, you will be able to embed the SAM templates into CloudFormation, and we have done that for customers. In terms of Terraform, that's really useful when you have multi-cloud strategy, or if you want to have more, you have more HashiCorp-related stack like Terraform, Vault, Console. All these are the services that comes from that uh, provider. So if you have Vault instead of our Secrets Manager, in that case, you could use Terraform, and that natively integrates with Vault for storing the variables or secrets as well. Yeah. So they are a customer Amazing. using a Terraform. That's awesome, yeah. Yeah. I think that it's a different tools that you can use. I, I have been in an organization, they, one team used Terraform, one team used CDK slash CloudFormation. So whatever their language the team is familiar with, and the, it's, yep. it, it's, it's the beauty of the, the technology, right? They can just build on top of it. Um, yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yep. Cool. So let's let's continue play the video. And I want to say, if if you have any questions, uh, feel free to pop it in the chat. Yeah. So now, cautious of time, I had already deployed it, but let's look at SAM. So now you should be able to do a SAM build and SAM deploy from your local. And SAM deploy should say no changes because I've already deployed it. So let's do a SAM deploy and it creates, it internally uses CloudFormation. And you see that it's trying to create a change set here and it comes back and says no changes. That's because I've already deployed it. Next, we'll go to the AWS console and see the things in action. So I've created two S3 buckets here, one for batch job one and one for batch job two. Batch job artifacts is for the long running jobs and batch job two is for the short running jobs. So let's start with the long running jobs. So the way S3 bucket natively integrates with step function is using event bridge. And for that to happen, you need to enable the event bridge notifications. It's both the ways. So you enable, enable it from S3 bucket, and then you go and create a rule in event bridge, which I'll show you in one minute. So now, yeah, if you see, I have created a rule here, and this rule says, okay, if there is an object that gets uploaded to this bucket with this name, uh, go and trigger this service. That could be step function or anything else. Again, event bridge is serverless, and it has a lot of native integration with many other AWS services. And in this case, you see that the target is step function. So when a job, when a file gets uploaded to that S3 bucket, it goes and triggers this step function. Let's look at the definition of the step function. And you see that 
the invoke ECS task, which is what I have shown you in the IDE as well. It's basically the same definition here on the console, and it has picked up the ECS cluster and the task definition. And you see that you know in, in, it will start the ECS task, and depending on the review results, it will either uh, uh, fail the job or you know uh, call the job as successful. Now let's upload a file and see how it works. Yeah. So now we have uploaded a file called input file one, and it's event bridge would have pushed it to step function and it would have ideally triggered an execution. Let's look at the execution tab and you see that an execution has already started. It's in running state there. And let's look at the various configurations that have that are there for the step function. And if you look at the invoke ECS task, you should be able to see the name of the bucket there and the metadata of the file that was uploaded to S3 bucket. That's the input job one. That's what you see there. So it has passed the metadata and now the ECS task knows that there was a file that was uploaded and it picks it up from there and does the uh, required business logics. And in the events section, you should be able to see the list of tasks that have happened. And if it has failed, what is the input and output for each task and what's being passed to the next task? That's what you see in the events section. And in terms of various states of the step function, the blue color says the step function is still in progress. And if it's all successful, it's all green, projects are green, step function is green, it's all green for successful. And step function natively catches the errors as well. That's when it goes to the caught error. And when there, there is when there is an issue, it gracefully shuts down the function and, and you should be able to send an email saying the job has failed with the error message as well. Yeah, yeah I was that's interesting because I was just gonna ask if you're running a lot of jobs, like especially like parallel and um how does how how do you know if something's filled and um, what is the best practices around, you know, notifying the relevant team or people that the job has filled? Uh, is it just logging or do you do, uh, do you recommend having a alerts or SNS uh, notification? Yes. yes. So I would advise SNS notifications or even SES. You can create an uh, event yeah. with event this and then with SES, you should be able to send an email to the uh, platform team. For example, platform team. And that's what we yeah. have been doing for some other bank recently. We are setting up a sandbox solution for them. And whenever the job fails, we do have the DL of the platform uh, support team and we send an email with the failure message. With the yeah. template, we just get the error message from the step function and pass it to that event and embed it into the email template. That way they know that, okay, this was the execution entity that has failed and this was the error. Yeah. yeah. I see. Uh, uh, one more question around uh, the long-running jobs versus the short, short-running or short-lived jobs, right? Um, I know uh, you mentioned ECS for the long-running jobs and using lambdas for the short-lived jobs. How do you decide? Why is that so? Uh, can you explain to us what you know? What's the difference between running containers versus lambda functions, and why did you choose that design? Yeah, AWS Lambda is a serverless service, but the execution time is restricted to 15 minutes. So when we are designing an application, we make sure that that solution is valid for at least next 10 years. 
imagine your job takes 10 10 minutes or 12 minutes and you use a lambda and the the data size grows over 2 years or 3 years which means the execution time increases which means that your lambda is going to time out in that case we'll make sure that we go with ecs forget the task or even aws patch or imagine, imagine it's a sh- short running job like 2 minutes 3 minutes in that case you don't really need to take care of the container definition the different difference between the ecs task and lambda as such is lambda you don't need to take care of what does the container look like it takes care of the compute you need to say okay this is my business logic uh, this is the memory i want now aws you take care of it that's the difference between a lambda and a container task for container task you need to say the cpu memory and you need to spin up your own docker image docker or any other image provider as such hope that answers your question mai yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah. answers a lot of questions and i think it's useful to know that uh especially if uh if you're studying for certifications right uh, like solutions architect associate and uh even the process so definitely keep that in mind around the differences uh because microservices you know can be deployed in different ways so yeah. you know, yeah. since you mentioned microservices architecture i thought you know any event driven architecture this is an important important core topic yeah right let's continue with your demo cool yeah now let me quickly show you what the ecs cluster looks like and the definition of the task looks like so let's search for the elastic container service yeah so you see that i've created a cluster called cluster for batch jobs and you must you'll be able to see the task that is in pending status or running status at whatever stage once it's provisioned it goes to running and the, and at this stage it's being still provisioned and that's the reason you see this so this is how you have, we have connected aws s3 step function and the elastic container service i hope it makes sense for all of you yeah and now let's get back and look at the next batch job wherein we are going to integrate s3 packet step function and lambda that's for this one oh, i had actually uploaded it for my testing before i do the demo so let's delete this and let's upload the same file again to see that in action cool we have uploaded this file now now let's look at the uh, event bridge rule that we have created for our, this one so again it's a very similar format for if an object gets created in this specific s3 bucket you could actually include the prefix as a say okay if the input file name is file1 do this in that case it will ignore all the other files that are uploaded to that s3 bucket and just looks at that keyword yeah so it it looks at the s3 object name object name bucket name you can do a lot of filtering using the event bridge rule and now you see the target that uh, you know i have mapped it to a step function again let's get to that step function now it's just a series of lambdas that i have done for this one and if see that it, it has already triggered the step function it's already successful and now you see a series of steps here so when i get a input file i look at the entry and i see if it's already there in database and which step functions there is the concept of choice as well so that's where you see this condition here 
Okay, I look at the status. If it exists, do this. If it doesn't exist, do this. You could have multiple choices there as well. And depending on the conditions, you should be able to call the next task. And finally, it will call the report result, which I've integrated with SNS. This is where may I, you are asked this question already. So if the job fails, you can use this report result functionality to create an SNS topic or an SES event. Yeah. I see. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And now that stuff function has already executed successfully, let's look at the execution as such. It is all green, beautiful. So the, the reason it's all green is because it's all successful. Otherwise, it turns red, grumpy, yeah? So this is all green because it's all successful. And now if you come down, you should be able to see the series of events. Like what, what, what was the task? Task entered, task executed, and task exited with successful state. And if you click on each and everything, you should be able to see what the input and the output format is. And it again natively integrates with CloudWatch. So for each and every task, you should be able to see the CloudWatch logs. That's about the second job as well. So pretty much the end of demo. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a question. Thank you very much for that uh, demo, Kinara. Uh, there is a question around uh, from YPK0077. Can we run this across AWS accounts? Yes. Yes. Step functions, you will be able to run it across my uh, cross account as well, definitely. And you need to provision the right uh, permissions. I would say role-based policies and even for S3 bucket, if you have to upload it from some other bucket, uh, some other account also, you create a user and then you, in the S3 bucket policy, you give the right permissions so that the cross account can access that S3 bucket. Yes. Yeah. So let's say you have uh, S3 sitting in account A and then step function in the account B. Um, and then Lambda in the account B or something along the line. And then you give a cross account permission and then be able to access the um, or cons consume the S3 data. S3 to, you will be definitely able to upload S3 uh, files to S3 cross account. In terms of integration with STEM function, I haven't done that as such, but I would say, why not? Why not? Definitely, it's the matter of just assuming the right roles. And yeah. you should be able to do that. I haven't done yeah. that, but it definitely, yes, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and and I and that's the assume rows, right? So you allow account A to be able to access to the account B through B. the assume rows. Exactly. It's a even if you, even in the step function you have an ECS task inside an ECS task, you should be able to do an STS assume row to some other account as long as the right permissions are given. You should be able to assume. Yep. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, step functions is is that a regional service? So I guess we can. You know, if we're going cross account, but then cross regions, then obviously there's a latency aspect to it, right? So, yeah, um, yeah that's something that uh, I guess, unless it's really required, you'd want to avoid in terms of performance aspects, right? Is that right, Knara? Yes, yes, I agree with you. Uh, and cross region is more, I would say, for uh, back backups. Say, mm. imagine you have a high availability application and you are looking at disaster recovery. That's when we look at cross-region applications, or you have an application that needs to be global. In that case, we look at cross-region. Again, we use CloudFront and other technologies to make sure that the performance is balanced there. Yeah, that totally makes sense. A lot of my customers are looking at cross-region, uh, especially now in Australia, we've got the Melbourne region, which is our second yeah. region. Yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. 
Yeah. Um, on that note, I just wanted to give a shout out to Mayuk. Uh, hello. Uh, thanks for supporting us. <laughs> <laughs> and happy birthday. Oh, wow. Happy, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, yes, I think we still got a bit of time. Let's do a little bit of, um, you know, Q&A around your your career we we haven't really talked about it we we dive right into the step functions and then the demo uh, yeah. but from the audience if you still have any questions around the uh from the demo and then the badge jobs feel free to pop it in here but i'm going to shift a little bit into um canera like your career you have been in the industry for quite a long time and you have a lot of experience and i want to know how do you get into this career and then this job and um what was your experience like sure so i started as a java developer and then i picked up the front-end skills as well and after we migrated to australia i I was fortunate to work with some customers where they were using a lot of AWS as well. I had used AWS EC2 and S3 as part of my application development. And then while I was working for one of the big four, big four banks, I had an opportunity to migrate or even modernize one application and push to cloud. That's when I wrote my first cloud formation template, first user <laughs> data, and then I set up the end-to-end -end pipelines and deployed it, to, deployed to AWS. Uh, I really loved it. And that's when I felt like maybe not just development, maybe a bit of DevOps in cloud. And then I started, I did the AWS Solution Architect Associate certification first. And my advice for the people who have joined here, if you're really keen to learn cloud, start with cloud practitioner first and then do the Solution Architect Associate. That will give an overview of all the services. And after that, I, I did work on uh, one of the retailer retail customers wherein I implemented a lot of uh, event-driven architectures, nice microservice patterns using SQLs, SNS. And, and then I got a call from AWS ProSoap for a cloud application developer role. I was like, nah, not me, not into AWS, but you know, all the interview was based on my cloud application development knowledge and a super supportive team as well. I got into that's AWS awesome. and I've been thoroughly enjoying the last three years. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. Like from the Java developer and, and you weren't doing cloud or any sort of like cloud technology when you were doing the Java development, were you? Initially, not in the first seven, eight years, but after yeah. that, I started using the AWS services like S3. What was, what was your first AWS service that you used? Was it S3 and EC2? S3, yes, yes, <laughs> S3 and EC2, yep. Seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, yep. Yeah. S3 and EC2, yep. Uh, that's 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 amazing like you like sometimes you shift around you know being the back-end developers like java developer front end and then you go sideways like maybe cloud and devils and now yeah. it's all coming together yeah and the knowledge about application helps in modernizing the applications now what yeah. we see two different use cases in proso right one is migration of applications to cloud modernization of applications to cloud and that's where my java expertise or even front-end expertise is super helpful i yeah. can look at the application landscape and do the right design in terms of migration modernization as well now that's really amazing and um in in the ProServe, like professional service team, uh, you you involved in the multiple different projects. And uh, could you tell a little bit about you know what sort of projects that you worked on? And you're in the application modernization and migration, but 
what does it looks like in your in your day to day? Sure, man. Uh, I had the f- opportunity to work on various uh, large-scale migration projects inter- with big four banks or even one of the customers in the airline industry where they wanted to move exit their data center by 2025. So we had a use case where we had to rewrite mainframe ETL jobs to serverless, and that's exactly what I did the demo for. And then migrations in terms of portfolio analysis. Say there are 100 applications on on-prem, and the customer isn't sure what to pick up. That's where we have our expertise to understand the application complexity and do a prioritization in terms, we we look at various columns and prioritize the applications to say, okay, these are the first five applications that are good to go to cloud. And, sh- and probably start educating the customer as well. And we enable the customer as we do the migration. That's called the portfolio analysis, application assessment. I, I've been doing it for one of the big board banks. And one of the other important, interesting projects that I've done last year was uh, application modernization for a real estate company. Uh, that's a company based out of Brisbane. And I did the pre-sales as well. It was a Java monolithic application built over 20 years. It was oh, wow. on-prem. There were lots of production issues. And it was an SVN, not even Git. It was an SVN as well. And when we reached out to them, whether like you know we need your help to migrate the source code modernize it to some extent and push it to cloud so uh, i did the pre-sales we earned the trust of the customer and i was fortunate to do the delivery as well so we modernized the java application and we pushed it to cloud and that is up and running on cloud and you know high performing no production issues at all customers happy their customers are happy and our customers are happy yep no, that's awesome. Wow. I like, yeah, a lot of these experience, you know, bring it back to like what you have done in the past and then your experience uh, coming in the picture and actually go through the journey together with the customer. So, and then training the customer and educating them along the journey. So I think that's really cool. Yep. I've got a question from the audience, uh, YPK0077. Uh, they've been active today. So interesting, how do you handle application dependencies? And uh, to go into further details, uh, I mean, one application on cloud and other on-prem. So looking at a hybrid type of model, how does that work in hybrid? Yes, it, it, it definitely works. So there were occasions where we, even in one application, we had to push the application service to cloud while the database had to be on-prem for various reasons. And it's seamless as long as you have a direct connect connection or a site-to-site VPN, and as long as you have the uh, plumbing done, it's seamless. And if you think of the latency, also I would say it's less than twenty milliseconds. And for you to connect, you need the direct connect uh, connection and the VPC for the route table. It should have the right uh, association so that it can talk to on-prem. Also, yeah. yeah, so that definitely answers it. Um, I know a lot of customers that I deal with have um, a hybrid type of setup and they yeah. were looking at yeah, the same Java monolithic application and looking at um, Lambda Snapstart. Is that something that you've recommended to customers or are already using? I got excited last year. The moment I see Java, I, I get excited. So I did a bit of read through of the Lambda Snapstart. And uh, for all of you to explain what Lambda uh, snapshot stuff. Uh, so one of the issues with the Lambdas, specifically when you write it in Java with Spring Boot 
framework if some of i'm sure if some of you understand java and spring boot framework was the time it takes to bootstrap so if you have to spin up a lambda it takes some time to bootstrap and start and run the application and the lambda stuff start helps you with that it does this caching sort of thing so first time it takes some time but second time when you try to run that lambda it has already have a caching thing so it knows where to pick it up from and that's the reason the start time is reduced so we are addressing the cold start issues my and in terms of uh, in terms of advising it to customers i would still prefer containers for a uh, critical applications long running applications which are critical apis as well right containers would be my preference but if you have apis that are that you need to you know, you know that you need to use them but not like you need to use them 24 by 7 in that case i would prefer lambda with api gateway so you save some cost end of the why do we go with serverless it's cost costing and scaling right so these are the two important factors which we look into when we design and advise here yeah yeah that's awesome um there is a lambda snap start workshop as well so um i'll try to post it in the in the chat it's very useful to so get into cold start right um yeah, yeah. Now moving on to the actual uh, question around your demo. So we talked about in the intro why you made this, um, and what are the next steps for this particular project that uh, you created this demo for? I guess. Uh, what are the next steps here, with? Yes. Okay. Th th this specific demo which I did was for one of the customers that I worked one year ago. But typically, what I see format with application modernization or even moving to serverless is looking at data analytics. So, as part of this modernization, we were pushing data from uh, Teradata on-prem to Teradata Cloud, and we were looking at setting up a data lake solution using this archive files to S3 bucket. So, using AWS Athena and AWS Glue where you know it it will analyze the files and pick up the uh, snapshot for every day and it pushes it to data lake so application modernization and second thing is data modernization that's how i say that my yeah i see that's awesome i'll hand over to may if she has got uh, several other questions including the culture and career part which we totally missed <laughs> I know we talk a little bit about the um, the tech backgrounds and your the the current job, and we we shifted into your technology, but that's okay. Um, but um, what I what we were talking about is you know, Canera, you you've done a lot of projects, and um, currently, what's your your current role involve modernizations and uh, migrations? What is the next? Um, your passions or next interest that you're looking at it? Sure. Uh, I think data analytics, it will be my next area of interest or even machine learning because oh, yeah. I, see, yeah, I see that customers look at application modernization first and the next step is data modernization, data analytics, setting up data lake mm -hmm. or even creating those visualization dashboards. So I think that will be my next step. Yeah, because like once they have done migration or modernizations, they are in this technology so they can start exploring new things, sure. start exploring, you know, analyzing these data and be more intelligent uh, with the decision making process with these data. So absolutely. I think I think that's really cool. Um, I haven't done much of the machine learning and uh, I'm trying to build a demo for my customers. So I'm starting it from scratch and um, getting my hands dirty with SageMaker and uh, <laughs> 
So um, no, that's 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 really cool. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, one last question from me, and um, you've been with AWS for about nearly three years, I would say. Is that yeah, yeah. almost three years? Yeah. Almost three years, and congratulations. Uh, what's a really um, one project or one thing that you're really proud of um, during your three years? Mm, yeah, so I had an opportunity to design, uh, implement, and even probably push it to non-prod and prod. Uh, th these are two critical one applications, mm -hmm. critical one applications for the airlines uh, customer. And these applications were really important during the time of that modernization. That was because during COVID times, these applications and the data that this application was processing was saved into a database and all the COVID related information was saved into this database. And this was sent to customer uh, government and for various other uh, government related services. And when we were like, we did the stream and we were about to give a handover. That's when the airlines uh, program lead came to our handoff session and said, you, do you know what you have done? You have actually helped the government as well. This application, which you have modernized, is being used in so many places. And wow. the best part is I went back to the same customer last year sometime, and I got a ping from the BAU team that, you know, hey, Kinnara, all the applications have been running successfully for the last two years without any issue, not even a single issue. So wow. yeah, quite, quite happy about that. I'm even proud. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, and well done. Well done to you <laughs> and the team. That's, that's really cool. Like, you have made a huge impact on exactly. you know things that's happening that's impacting um everyday life so that's really cool thank you is it bad? so we have got a questions loss in the cloud uh, i guess this is more of a certification question is it a bad idea to aim for professional certification directly or should they do um cover a few of the some um, exams around associate and associate essay or developers. What do you reckon, Canera? I would advise you to start with associate. I do have five certifications. I did the solution architect associate, developer associate, sysops, pro, uh, sysops and then security, and then solution architect professional. And of, out of all this, my humble, humble opinion, professional exam, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's the next level. Tough. It's it's not tough, but the questions are so long, and you need to just think and pick up the right answer. Yeah. And then I, I would say my advice will start with associate first. Start with solution architect associate, and for to go to professional exam, you need at least two to three years of experience and time management. Time management is super critical for yeah. professional exams. For all other exams, trust me, I had fifteen minutes. I reviewed, and I was like, nah, it's all good. <laughs> Professional exam, I had 19 seconds. <laughs> 19 <laughs> seconds. I, I still don't remember that day. I'm like, oh, I, I need to submit. I need to submit. And then, anyway, I managed to pass the exam. That's a different story. But my suggestion will be to go with associate first. Yeah, I totally and agree I, with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same, same here. I ran out of time. Whereas other exams, I, I had plenty of time. Um, and if you're brand new to AWS, start with even cloud practitioner. Cloud practitioner, yep. Yeah, that's that's a confidence booster, right? Um, so mm. start at the very 
uh, I guess, the bottom level and then work your way up. And I think what happens is like as you get the cloud crack and all the associate level certs, you get all the information that you need to build up for your pro cert. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely in terms of um, getting that knowledge, yeah. it adds up, I reckon. And also the question style, like you kind of understand what's the question looks like and what's the, how do you answer this kind of, you know, sometimes you get like, a, like Canera said, like super long question. It takes me a while. Um, This is my second language, like English is my second. It takes me a while to really translate that. Is that, am I understanding this or <laughs> because it, it it's a bit hairy, the question itself, Um, yeah. but in the associate, it is a little bit shorter and then you can kind of understand what the scenario is and um yeah so yeah definitely going through the associate and um and get into professional but if you're confident why not <laughs> if you're confident you've been using it for a while yeah 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 just be cautious of time that that's my only thing that's yeah <laughs> <laughs> Another question from uh, Nagar Rampling. What what do, what do you mean by modernization? Yeah. You have an application on on-prem and when you are moving it to cloud, there are various ways in which we can move it to cloud. You can just do a lift and shift, in which case you are not actually making any changes to the application. It is still that legacy nature of application, but you are saving money and cost in terms of the on-prem service as such. So you move it to cloud, and in terms of scalability, yes, even if you do a lift and shift, you definitely have the scalability that cloud provides. Modernization is where you rewrite your application to make it more scalable, available, and even I would say it's more performing. So imagine you have a Java monolithic application, and if you have to make a change, it takes you two to three weeks to push a small change to production. And, but if you decompose it into microservices using containers or serverless, and if you have to change one API, I would bet you can do it in two days, two weeks versus two days. And that's that's the uh, better time to market. It's faster time to market or saving time and money. And then many other things which comes with modernization. And in terms of what, how do you do modernization? You can push it to containers, which we call as re-platform. Or you can do a refactor and re-architect to serverless as well. It depends on the cloud journey of the customers. Thank you, Annapurna. Depending on the cl cloud journey of customers, when the if you say if we find that the customer is fairly new and they can't manage their on-prem service, we would advise them serverless. Because they can just take care of their business logics and we take care of the server, uh, the infrastructure for them. Or if it's like a complex uh microservices where say a big financial institution in that case we could go with ecs clusters or eks clusters depending on the use case yeah definitely a lot of my customers use ecs and, and eks clusters <laughs> and uh, another question um from Noir. Uh, i have just started as a cloud developer should my next assert be solutions architect associate or developer associate what questions should i ask myself to find my answer to this Great question. Uh, that's a good question, actually, because if you solution architect associate is more for when you want to understand how do you design an application, design uh, for an application modernization or migration. That's what is covered in solution architect. While developer associate is more into how do you implement it? 
for example the demo i did it's a it's it sorts more for developer associate wherein how do you actually develop these services and how do those integrations look like and for solution architect it will be more on uh, the well architected framework so aws follows the uh, standard well architected framework reliability availability cost efficiency sustainability security security is of zero sorry that, that's something which i should have told first so in terms of solution architect associate or even designing application you need to have a review of all this well architected pillar that's for the solution architect associate and developer is more for actual development i hope it makes sense yeah yeah definitely may what do you think of this question I think Canara answered really well. And Solutions Architect Associate, you get the general overview of all the 200 plus services. Like, how do you design that in gen, like, generally understanding how you can integrate with one service to another? And then the developer is going to focus, I like, focus on how do you how does the lambda gonna scale and was that the memory and a cpu or um how do you this the this application access to ec2 instances what iam roles or ssk do you use that kind of like questions very focused on day-to-day -day developers um interactions on aws services versus uh, a service uh service to service integrations and how do you design it in them in the well architected manner in the associate exam yeah, you definitely covered it. All right. It looks like there's no more questions. I think it is time to wrap up. Do you have any final comments, Kinera, before we wrap up? Uh, thank you for this opportunity, and it was great chatting with all of you. Feel free to reach out to us, connect with us on LinkedIn, shout out. Or if you need any help, feel free to reach out to us, and please do subscribe to the Shevels uh, group. It's a great initiative. Great job, Maya and May. Great job. So feel free to subscribe to that and reach out to us. Yep. Yeah, Thank definitely. You. And May has posted the LinkedIn group there. And we also have a podcast as well. So you can listen to us on the go, available on Spotify and all your major uh, podcast platforms like Apple um, as well. May, do you want to close this up? Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you to all the viewers and, and thank you, Kanera, for being uh, a presenter on the show and I will hope to see you again and we will come back the same time next month. <laughs>